Welcome to the Joy of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Dr. James Taylor. On this podcast, we explore the passion and purpose of leadership, and we do so by talking with recognized leaders who do not merely have jobs, but men and women who have been called to their chosen sphere of influence. All right. Well, hey, listen, today is going to be a little bit different show. Uh, It had been suggested by a few different folks uh, for us to talk about Christian education and uh, kind of what God is doing here at our school. And it was suggested for the interviewer to become the interviewee and uh, and to be able to walk through that. So it is really and truly my privilege to have uh, the chairman of our board and also a close and dear friend, Scotty Johns. Uh, Scotty's been here since uh, since I, long before I was here, but my whole time here, Scotty's been been uh, been the guy who's been leading our board and we've really appreciated it. So uh, I am I am going to turn it over to Scotty and let him do the interviewing today. And we're going to kind of discuss leadership and Christian education and just the huge impact that, uh, that Christian education is making on not just our area, but also the world. Well, thank you, James. I'm, uh, I'm excited about this. I've never done this before. So if this is a bomb, this is, this is partly <laughs> on me. Um, but I, I did, I had actually listened to the David Green interview uh, at the gym one morning and I texted you on the way back and I said, you know, people would like to hear your story. And uh, when you said, I'll do it as long as you'll interview me, I realized what a bad idea that was. <laughs> um, but, but here we are. So, uh, you know, we were, we were just talking before the show. Um, you, you had never done a podcast before. No, never. And so just give me an idea where this, the idea for this podcast came from and kind of what your vision is for it and maybe where it's headed. So, so really, we work with, with teenagers, you know, <clears throat> every year, all the time, uh, I talk so much to my students about the idea of not having to choose whether our calling is distinctly religious. Like a lot of times kids will have this mindset, and frankly adults do too, but we'll have this mindset that our calling can only be in regard to like being a missionary, being a pastor, you know, like doing things that are distinctly religious in nature. And so my challenge has always been to my students that um, our calling can be our calling because we've chosen to let Christ have the center. And that does not matter whether you're in educational administration like I am, or whether you're in high-end sales with, with furniture like you are, or whether you're a lawyer or, or a doctor or whatever that is, that that calling can take place no matter what. So that's been something that I've been you know, kind of scratching the surface on for a long time. I've had chapel speakers come through with that theme. I've done a lot of that over the years. But I just thought the podcast provided a really hands-on opportunity for both our students and their parents to really get the understanding that you can be tops in your career. Your career, You can be at the tip-top of your career and yet still place Christ first. Right. And I thought this provided a pretty great opportunity. Um, the talented guys who are sitting behind the cameras and the soundboards, I knew that they could make that happen. Uh, and so, yeah, so we just want to kind of tell the story but for the purpose of letting people see, you can do anything and put Christ in, in first and, and, and watch how God will work in it. Yeah. So that's kind of the inception of it. Yeah. Well, uh, they've been really enjoyable to listen to and just, just learning topics that I probably would have never broached right. had I not listened to the podcast. So um, it's, it's, uh, it's incredible. So please keep it going. <laughs> Um, so let's start start with your story. Sure. Um, I, I know you kind of jump around chronologically with some of your guests, and so I kind of thought we would start uh, wh- where you are today, uh, how you got to HCA, and and uh, there's two sides of this story, and, and God shows up at the end. And so um, I, I'd like to tell the side from from the board and the school and kind of where we were, and then I'll turn it over to you and kind of let you that know. sounds great. Yeah, yeah, what was going on in, in your life at that time. And so... Uh, I was, I guess, my second year on the board, and uh, Tracy Pritchard had decided to move back home uh, to be near her parents, uh, to actually go uh, be head of school at her, where she went to school growing up. And so we were in a position where we had no head of schools midterm. Um, shortly thereafter, I was told I was going to be the next board chair. And so thankfully, Chuck Warbington stepped up and just did an incredible job. Uh, he put together many focus groups with parents with uh, staff and teachers and uh, we wanted to gather information let's let's make the right decision here and so who are we looking for and uh, regardless of the group we came back and there were several pillars as I as I call it that we were looking for in our next head of school Um, and just to kind of highlight some of those uh, we were looking for somebody that was spiritually mature 
uh, we were looking for somebody that was an accomplished educator. So, so we wanted somebody not only that was Christian, but also that was strong in education. And sometimes that's difficult to find somebody, someone strong in both. Uh, we wanted someone with experience, but had, had stayed at a place for many years. We had a history of turnover, uh, as you now know, every two to three years. And, and we wanted somebody with a little more stability that, that hopefully we could see for the next 10, 15 years. We wanted someone that would be a great communicator. Uh, here we are on a podcast. Uh, we wanted someone that was very approachable, didn't, didn't rule or, or, or uh, make decisions from an ivory tower, would be approachable from the parents and the students as well as the staff. And then we want, wanted someone that had, a, uh, had the gift of a vision. And, um, and, and you, you, you've checked all those boxes in my eyes. Um, I, I, just so you know, we had approximately uh, 50 or more applicants uh, Chuck kind of guided us through the process. We started narrowing that down. We started doing Zoom interviews. We did some in-person interviews. We had that kind of narrowed down to two or three candidates, and I had, I had one in particular, and, and maybe two that that I could have landed on, been comfortable with, and then you showed up. And so I want to pause there and kind of turn it over to you. I, I'd like to know what was going on in your life and kind of when God showed up in this story, because it's really interesting to me. So, so for me, uh, I, can, I can tell you that the last job that I applied for, uh, I was 11 years old and I was applying at a pizza shop uh, to be a busboy. And uh, that was actually the last job that I applied for. Other than that, I can honestly say when the Bible talks about you know, the Holy Spirit orchestrating our steps when, when God really and truly does chart our course. He really does. And so for me, I heard from a, a dear friend of mine, uh, and he told me about this great school, uh, Hebrew Christian Academy, that, that he thought would be a, a really good good fit for my skill set, and uh, talked to me about, you know, the fact that they were open. My very quick response was, I'm not really interested. I'm really happy where I'm at. I was at a wonderful school in Savannah, Georgia, it's a great area, great school. I love the people I was with, and um, it just it just wasn't a it just wasn't a consideration. The Lord was really blessing. I heard from a second friend about a week and a half later, and he communicated with me, and he talked to me about the exact same school, and uh, I responded to him the exact same way. I said, "I'm really not interested." God's blessing, and uh, it was the th- the third person who I heard from that really made me realize something different, like s- something might be taking place here that's Holy Spirit driven. Uh, and I think that the Lord worked through my st- stubbornness, I think. Uh, my son-in-law was looking for a Toyota Tacoma. And I know this seems like a silly part of the story, but it's, it's, it's important to it. But my son-in-law, Ryland, was looking for a Toyota Tacoma. Uh, he, he kind of landed on the idea that he just wasn't going to be able to afford one. I asked him if it was okay if I started looking as well. And I found one that was about $5,000 less than anything that he had found. And uh, we were kind of amazed by that. He said, I don't think that can happen. Like, it's less than what they build it for. And uh, I said, well, I already put 500 bucks down on it, so we, I think we <laughs> bought it, you know. And so we, we're driving up to the dealership to, to go and look for this truck. And uh, on my way up there, I'm sitting in the back seat. He's trading in a Volkswagen GTI in the process. I'm sitting in the back of the car as we're driving up to buy this Toyota Tacoma. And that's when I heard from the third friend. And I went back and checked my other texts and realized all three of these people are talking about the exact same school. I, I didn't think that I had ever heard of Hebron before. Um, and uh, so I thought, okay, this is crazy. So I, I mentioned it to my son-in-law. I mentioned it to my daughter, uh, Aunt Alyssa, who that we were all, all three of us were together and just said, okay, this is crazy. Like these are three different people who've talked about the exact same school we're driving up there. I said, listen, if it's anywhere close to, to where the school is, let's just go over. If it's within 20 minutes, let's go over and, and just look at the school. If not, it's a, it's a four and a half hour drive from Savannah to Atlanta. And, uh, and so the, the dealership was in Buford. It was, it was a Toyota in Buford, and, uh, which was about 15 minutes from here. And so we, we said, well, let's drive, let's drive over to the school and take a look at it. Like, this really might be the Holy Spirit. Sure. We drove over, and I'm just telling you, we drove through the gates and, and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, it was like the Holy Spirit just placed it upon my heart. We drove through the gates. I knew this is where we were going we were wow. going to move. And uh, we drove around campus for a little bit, and that was just confirmed. 
and I called my wife and I, I said, Hey, I, I, th- I think we're moving to Dracula or Dracula <laughs> or Dracula. Like I didn't even know how to say the name. Right. And uh, she pulled us up online and she, she jokingly said, you know, they wear burgundy. I don't look good in burgundy. I'm not <laughs> sure. But, but we really kind of surrendered ourselves to the Lord in that process. And he just clarified it. I mean, it was just such a clear thing. I had such a busy schedule that we were in, but I had purchased uh, Georgia tickets. So I, so I knew that I was always com- already coming to this area. The third friend who suggested it, I said, well, give me the name of the contact person. It was our senior pastor, Landon Dowden. I contacted Landon. He said, well, hey, let's, let's start the process. He said, we'd love to meet with you quickly because we're already in process with some other candidates. And I had the tickets to Georgia. Georgia was playing Kentucky uh, like three weeks later. And uh, so I said, well, hey, I'm already coming back up here in three weeks. And, and that's, that's really where it started. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, that's the part I left out is one of those three friends was was also friends with Landon. Right. And uh, and so it was just it was just awesome uh, that God brought you to us and and we knew as a group when we met you that either you were the person that was gonna lead this school next or we were gonna start the process over. Mm. We had already decided, had you turned us down, we were gonna we were gonna punt, we were possibly gonna hire a firm, we were gonna move in a totally different direction. Uh, but we're glad God pierced your heart. Yeah, it was, it's those cool, gates. right, to watch the Holy Spirit work. It's Absolutely. pretty awesome, you know. Yeah, so uh, I just thought others would enjoy that story of, of how God kind of made it very clear to both of us and, and both groups that this was a place for you to be. So now let's go back. Uh, let's go back. Uh, you weren't born, born in this country. No. Nope. So uh, let's talk, talk, talk to us about your growing up, your parents, uh, kind of who had the most influence in your life as a young person. Yeah, so I was, I was born and raised in Canada. Um, both of my parents were American. So my, my dad was an accountant for 14 or 15 years in Boston. Uh, he was a junior vice president for an accounting firm that's, that is still around today. They're a very well-known name. Uh, my mom was a nurse uh, at New England Baptist. And uh, my dad and my mom had accepted Christ. Uh, my mom accepted Christ at a camp um, with Tal McNutt, and it's a, a camp that's still around today, Rumney Bible Camp. Um, I had the privilege as for several years to be a speaker there. I spoke, I used to speak there three, four times a year. Uh, but my mom gave her life to the Lord and surrendered her life to ministry there. Uh, my dad gave his life to the Lord and surrendered his life to ministry at a, a historic church where, frankly, one of the one of the Great Awakenings actually originated, and it's Park Street Church in Boston. It's a very historic, very famous church. And... Um, when my dad gave his life to the Lord, my, he and my mom had only been married for a little while, and he worked at that career for, a, for another several years and just couldn't deny the call into the ministry. And so uh, he went back to school, left his accounting position, uh, and he went back to school and worked for Gordon Conwell. Uh, he, that's where he was doing his seminary uh, degree, and so he did an MDiv there. While he was there, he was the assistant comptroller at Harvard University, and they actually paid for his education. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, you know, he went back, and they changed their whole lives. And uh, then their first church, that where they that they took as a pastor, was in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, a little island off the coast of, of Nova Scotia. So my two older brothers were born in the U.S. Myself and my younger brother, we were both born in Canada. My parents lived there for a total of, I believe it was 27 years. And, um, and so, yeah, so that's where we started. Uh, you know, as, as I'm, I just had a birthday a little while ago, but, I, you know, in my mid-50s, I realized, like, you watch God's hand, you watch his sovereignty go through, and you just see how he directs you. And I do recognize that the idea, kind of the, the family story mm-hmm. of having a mom and dad who were okay to give up very lucrative careers, um, to give up everything they had to to totally take on this adventure in not only that was a foreign land, I mean, very very much felt like a foreign land. I mean, Cape Breton, Nova Scotia is gorgeous. It's like a step back in history. Right. Um, but for them to move away from everything that they knew and move to a different country for them to begin serving the Lord, that has entered my DNA from a very early age, you know, like, like that they drop their nets. Yeah. Like that, that idea right. that when Jesus calls, you drop your net, right. you know? And so, yeah, I think about that. And so my mom and dad were both very influential. My dad is still alive. My mom passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, my dad lives in upstate Maine and uh, yeah, it just, it just entered into our world, you know, that, so that, so their, their impact upon us was really important. I lived in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, just for my first few years of life. 
My dad then took a church in Sackville, New Brunswick, uh, Main Street Baptist. It's the very first Baptist church in all of Canada. Mm. Uh, still there today. Gorgeous, gorgeous building. Uh, they have an organ there that is world-renowned. People literally fly in from all over the world to play this organ that was done by some German organ guy, I guess. Right. And uh, we lived there all through my teen years. And then in my middle school years, uh, we moved to Guelph, Ontario, just which is just outside of Toronto. So we moved from a very rural, agrarian place to very much of a metropolis, um, had kind of a big city vibe to it, being near Toronto. Mm. And uh, that's where I spent all of my teen years. And then my parents moved back to the U.S. Uh, just before my senior year in high school. Yeah. And and along that journey, uh, you talked about your mom and dad getting called into ministry. T- tell us about where were you in your life when God kind of pierced your heart and said, you need to take this path? So I don't, my parents are just like, they're gems. They're, they're really and truly two of just the best examples of Christians I could ever ask for. Uh, so authentic, so real all the time. It wasn't like, you know, so I, I know I chat with some kids, you know, maybe who they say, you know, maybe the examples that they're seeing aren't terrible terribly authentic all the time. Mm. And I can just tell you, my parents were, I mean, they were just such a great example. For whatever reason, I was just a rebellious kid. So I just, I, I lived a fairly rebellious life um, from, you know, age 13 to 17 were very hard years for me. They were certainly very hard years for my parents. Um, Teenage years, difficult. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, you know, I'm the type of personality, if I'm going to do something, I do it big. And no, so if James. I'm going to sin, I do it big, no, you know, not and, you. Yeah. And so, <laughs> Uh, so 17, uh, you know, I came to the point, uh, end of, you know, end of my junior year, my third year in, um, I dedicated my life to the Lord and, and really recognized. And I, I, I had seen that call upon my life for about 12 to 14 months. Um, but I really gave my, gave my life for the Lord. I had not thought about entering Christian ministry. Mm. Uh, when I was choosing college programs, I kind of looked at the things that I like and I, I, I liked kids. Uh, I like reading, um, and I thought, well, you know, I guess I'll, I'll, I guess maybe I'll be a teacher. You know, if, if I was to wrestle through careers that most interested me, like I, I loved business, I thought well, maybe I'll start my own business one day. Uh, once I was deeper into my faith, I thought, well, maybe I'll be a, maybe I'll be a pastor at some point in time. I tend to be a bit geeky. And so I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll be an English professor or something mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, those were kind of the intersections, but I really didn't <clears throat> determine to go into min- into educational ministry until my senior year in high school or in college. Okay. And at that point in time, I had some experiences in the public school system that led me to say, there's got to be something different than this. Mm. And, and, um, my fiance at that time had started to work at a Christian school in Norton, Massachusetts. And so I was introduced there and they happened to be needing an English teacher that next year. And so I jumped right in there. And so that's where I started in Christian ministry. I would love to tell you that it was super intentional it really wasn't. It was very much that, that God was giving me opportunities, and I w- was just saying yes. Sure. And so I was just like recognizing that I didn't have the intellect to probably make these decisions and, and really permitting God to have sway over, over my course. Sure. Yeah. Well, Th- and that was 30 years ago. Yeah. All right. And so you start out as a t- an English teacher. I and did. And then uh, take kind of the next step. Where, where, did, where did that career progress? So my... My freshman year in college, I, w- I actually, a, a church hired me on as their youth pastor for the summertime and for Christmas months. Fell in love with, with being a youth pastor. Fell in love with just working with high school kids and middle school kids. So I did that my whole college career. Every summer I would come home and do that. At Christmas break, I would do that. And um, they were so kind, and they gave me such freedom and gave me allowances to do some pretty nutty stuff that, you know, I don't know, maybe I might fire people for nowadays. But uh, they, they just, they really gave me some, some freedom. So when I start at the first place, I'm an English teacher uh, full-time, and I'm also their youth pastor full-time. I don't know exactly how that worked for me during that period of time. Uh, but I was doing both. So I was their youth pastor and, and, uh, and full-time English teacher, teaching primarily British literature and world literature. And um, so I jump in there and do that for about six or seven years. And in my halfway through my seventh year, our head of school, Dr. Gary Morris, was stepping down, and he was going into a, a Bible college in Rhode Island uh, as their uh, president or CFO head, whatever that is. And uh, so he was going in there, and it was happening in a midstream, The and the board kind of gave me the nod after looking at 
candidates who frankly had a lot more experience than I did. That was your first head of school. That experience. was my first head of school experience. And so they, so I took over at 29 years of age. Wow. Uh, I mean, just way too young sure. uh, to be doing that. But the board was, they were generous. They yeah. were, they were very kind to me. And I think, I think they, you know, spotted something in us and, and, um, and then I just kind of became on this pursuit, you know, to make sure that I had the degrees that were necessary at that point in time, I think I had finished up a master's of literature. Uh, I was in an MDiv. And so, you know, I, I knew that I had to, to swap over into an educational platform and really make sure that my, my yeah. degrees were heading in that direction. I had, I mentioned this in another show, but the role of educational administration had literally never crossed my mind. That was never a consideration. Right. I was either going to be a businessman, a pastor or a professor. Mm. And, uh, this job is like the perfect intersection of all three of those right. pieces. And right. I, and I do, I love the fact that God knew way before I knew uh, what was best for me. And my role was just to get out of the way and let him have sway. Sure. You know? And so he did. And, sure. and that was kind of a, that was a fun experience yeah. to start out. Yeah. It, it, you're, you're right. One of the things I've learned is being associated with the board and Hebrew Christian Academy for all these years is it is a ministry, mm-hmm. um, not only in your position, but the teachers right. that are here. You know, they could choose to go to a public school and teach and probably make more money. Right. But, but it's a ministry. It's a right. mission field for them. And the impact that you have on young people year after year after year is just incredible. I, I don't know that we'll know the impact of that truly until, yeah. you know, on, at least on this side of heaven. It's fun to have been doing this for a long time because now I, I stay in touch with a lot of my students. I, mm. I heard from two of them last night. Uh, that I had at my very first school 20 yeah. plus years ago, yeah. you know, and it's, it's, it's so neat to be a part of people's lives for multiple generations. It's such a privilege, such yeah. a, such really just a privilege, something yeah. I'm humbled by. All right. Let's, let's pause just a minute on the career. And let's, you, you mentioned a fiance that you had. Yeah. So tell us, tell us, catch us up with the rest of that story. Sure. So I, uh, I, I fell in love with this beautiful girl named Karen uh, when my dad was coming down to, to candidate at a church in Middleborough, Massachusetts. So he was coming down. I had, was just pulling out of a, a deep chapter of rebellion. Mm. My faith was brand new, uh, and, and it was a challenging time for me. So we were there, and they kind of, in candidacy process, I don't know whether they still do it this way, but they had the pastor's family, like after my dad preached for the day, they were doing like a dinner that night and my mom and dad and all of us boys were all like sitting at this front table with 300 people looking at us, mm. you know, and I just hated every minute of it. So my, my parents finally let us just get up and like, you know, they were just going to answer the questions. We get to just walk around. So I went outside and sat in the rental car and this beautiful girl came over and she talked to me for about 45 minutes and uh, I just was smitten at, from the minute I saw her. And we actually flew back home to, to Guelph and I, I told my best friend Paul, uh, I said, listen, I'm, I met the girl I'm going to marry this weekend. And, uh, he was like, whatever you did. I said, you've <laughs> never heard me say that before. I'm right. telling you, I met the girl I'm going to marry. Right. And, uh, this summer we'll celebrate 30 years. So Congratulations. yeah, so That's pretty awesome. exciting. Yeah. Still and smitten by the way. Yes, you are. You, yeah. you, you go blush when she, <laughs> she comes into your presence and then, uh, tell us about your, your children and where they are and what they're doing. So Alyssa, uh, is our oldest and Alyssa is a nurse in this area. Um, her husband, Ryland is a pastor at 12 stone Hamilton mill, which I think is interesting. Yeah. They're just dynamos, man. I just, they're yeah. just so much, so much better than we ever were at their age. And right. so they're just such cool kids. Um, and they just moved from Orlando back up to this area one year ago. And so they right. bought their first house and, uh, it's just an exciting time for them. And any, then any talk of grandchildren yet, you know, I talk a lot about right, it. You right. know, I'm not sure how much talk they're doing. Sure. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I talk about it all the time. Right. So, and then our our youngest Colton uh, is a senior at UGA. Uh, just got engaged uh, like a week ago to a just wonderful, wonderful young lady named young lady named Ella. And uh, Ella's finishing up at Samford this year in Birmingham, and they think that Birmingham's probably where they're going to settle. And he's he's studying advanced mathematics and education and business, and she's studying marketing. And so she's going to jump into a marketing type of a role, and I think he's going to go to Christian education. So, yeah, yeah it'll be fun. It, it, there's, yeah, it's pretty ironic. Uh, and he's very vo- involved in the church. He's yeah. active in the, in the music He's ministry. a worship pastor as right. well, and so he, he, he does an awesome. He's super talented, yeah. playing guitar and piano and singing. He's just he's so talented. It's amazing. Yeah, that's, it's in- interesting that the family still stays in that Christian, Christian world. Yeah. And uh, I know that's from your influence. 
So uh, you 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 take this job. Uh, it's your first head of school job. How long were you there? And then and then tell us the. So Karen and I were day. there for twelve years. Uh, she, actually, she was there for thirteen years. So she was there one year before I got there. And so yeah. we were there for twelve years. Six of those years, I was a teacher and youth pastor. Then my last six, we were a headmaster. The Lord the Lord blessed in, in amazing ways. The church the, the school grew by about three hundred percent during that period of time, and uh, we acquired extra land, we got out of debt, we did, you know, the Lord really blessed, I mean, he really did, and and I just, I felt very much like I was on the playground every day, like, it just felt like I, I, I recognized day in, day out, this is a hard job, and yet yeah. I, I really love, I love every component of it, even the bad days, I still enjoy, sometimes it takes me a couple of days to appreciate them, but even the challenging days I enjoy, so I was there for 12 years, mm-hmm. and then, uh, and then I actually heard we had a family who, who lived with us, who, who were, had their kids at our school, Tim and Tammy Patton, uh, just a fantastic family. And Tammy was moving to Savannah, Georgia to take over uh, a new role that she had received at Gulfstream, which is a, a, an, yeah. an airplane designer. And uh, so Tammy was moving down there and she said, hey, James, I want the, the school that's the very closest to our school there was called New Testament. I want the school that's the very closest to New Testament that we can find. And so she scheduled like a two-hour meeting, and we looked through every school in Savannah. And at the end of the meeting, I said, well, I think this Calvary Day School is probably the closest one that's similar to us, genuinely Christian, like really pursuing. And so Tammy and Tim moved down to Savannah, Georgia. I wasn't sure I would hear from them again. Uh, and about nine months later, 10 months later, she called me. She said, you might be upset, but I put your name in for a job down here. And, um, their headmaster called me out of the blue. I told him the same thing that I wasn't interested, right. uh, that God was blessing. And, and, uh, he said, well, let us at least fly you down for a free weekend in Savannah. And so Karen and I went down and we do a lot of prayer walking. So we were prayer walking the perimeter of their campus and uh, uh, we were, you know, in that first loop and, and recognized God was going to bring us to Savannah, Georgia. And three months later, we were living there. Right. So what, yeah. a, what a beautiful city. Great place to yeah. live and raise children. Yeah. And so you, you accept that role once you decide that God's calling you there. And uh, you were there for how long? Fifteen years. So I stepped in there. Um, our headmaster at the time, Ralph Finnegan, uh, he was looking for a transition out, so they were doing like a planned mantle pass. So I stepped in as an upper school principal, kind of functioning almost in like a uh, like an assistant headmaster type of a role. And uh, this school was a lot bigger than the school that I was coming from, and so my first few years I functioned in that head of that uh, head of upper school and assistant head role, and then rolled into the headmaster's position once once uh, Ralph uh, retired. And then stayed in there, and we were there for 15 years. It's really where we where we raised our children, and, right. and uh, it was home for us, and we loved it. It was it was yeah. a great place. Yeah. So you checked the box of longevity. You had been in those positions right. for long yes. periods of 12 time. Twelve and fifteen. That's it. Yeah. Right. Uh, you you hit on something. Um, you talked about this is a difficult job, and uh, it it I totally understand that as we get to work close together. Kind of from your perspective, what are the biggest challenges? The world's changing rapidly. And as the head of a Christian school, what is the most difficult challenge we face today or maybe be facing in the next few years as you see it coming down the road? So the, the role of the head of school is very much almost like a CEO's role. Like you have, to, you have to know a lot about a lot. And so you have to be a, a, like a businessman. You know, we've got a $19 million budget, 200 staff members. Um, you have to be a counselor. You have mm. to you have to come from a theological perspective. So you have to, in our situation, being in a distinctly Christian school, you know, you, you have to have some pretty deep theological knowledge in there. And so you're kind of fulfilling that, that pastoral role, which I, I was ordained at my very first school or my very first uh, church ministry. And so I, you know, I do, I'm, I'm an ordained pastor in there. You just have to fulfill so many different roles. And in the middle of it, you deal with conflict. I mean, you just, you're dealing, you know, we've got 1300 kids or so here on campus. And that means we've got at least 2,600 parents. And and frankly, that's probably more like 4,000. Right. You know, and you deal with that many, that many people, there's conflict on a pretty much daily basis. And so you just have to learn how conflict resolution is best handled, how it's handled from a biblical perspective, how not to take things personally during tough times. You know, you're dealing with the most precious thing in a family's life, you know, their children. And so, you need to love them and care for them like Christ would. And um, 
and you have to do that even when maybe they're not all that lovely sometimes, right. just like I was when I was a teenager. And you just have to, you have to be in it for the long haul, right. you know? And so that, that makes the job hard. It's why, you know, the average tenure of a, a head of school in a, in a school right now is only 3.4 years. That's it. Yeah. Um, and the average headmaster is only staying in the role for about nine and a half. That's all they're staying in. It. It's just, it's a, it's a role that'll kind of eat your lunch if you let it, sure. you know? And so you have to, you know, we started talking about, we started the show talking about calling. You have to know it's your call, right. you know? So I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is my call. This is literally what I was placed here on earth to do. I feel with all my heart. Sure. That's the case. And so when you have a call, you can weather the bad days. Right. If you just have a job, bad days feel like really bad days. Right. But if you have a call, you weather those, those bad days because you know that there is something of eternal significance that's taking place. Right. And, and that makes things okay. Sure. Yeah. God, God if God's, God's with you, who can be against you? Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, so um, just talking about some of the law changes that are happening and, and uh, the, it, you know, they're just, it seems like the world's gone to a really difficult place really, really quickly. Uh, what threats do you see to the Christian school um, coming from kind of the world perspective? Yeah. So, I mean, from a, from a religious perspective, our, our, our nation is getting more liberal. I mean, right. they just are. Right. And so, in a, in a nation that was largely founded on Christian principles, a lot of those same Christian principles now become the most inflammatory point of discussion for a lot of people in political discourse, educational discourse, certainly religious discourse, medical discourse. The, the role of faith, the role of Christian faith, it seems to have taken on a role where it is offensive mm. to many people. And the challenge with that is to is to still live true to your faith, even in the middle of that. Now, I personally think that love overcomes those things. And so if people live a faith as a finger wagger, where they're constantly wagging their finger at you and telling you what you're doing wrong, right. you know what? That's offensive to me. Sure. You know? sure. um, but if you're living a life saying, hey, listen, we may have different paths. I'm going to still care for you and care for your needs. I don't have to agree with you right. to love you, right? right? And so right. I think that in America, we've largely lost the art of still caring about somebody that you disagree with. Sure. It, it seems like unless we're in lockstep with other people, we're going to be emblazoned by their rhetoric that, that just seems to want to blow people up. And, and just none of that seems very kind, yeah. you know? And so it doesn't seem like the way that, that Christ would have lived out. Christ was willing to walk into the darkest places with the most troubled people in our world. And it was because of his love for them that he overcame those problems and that those, those folks ended up understanding what it is to walk in alignment with Christ and that that's better. That's walking in the light rather than darkness. So, you know, we're going to have more and more conflict. The more that we've chosen as a school to be very deliberately Christian and very intentional in, in that manner, uh, the conflict's going to come. I mean, right. there's just going to be more and more legal challenges to Christian faith. Mm. And, um, you know, we're ready for them because truth is still truth. Right, right. I love that. Um, and, and nationally, and I don't want to put you on the spot here on, with, on specific numbers, but Christian schools are not growing nationally. Is that, is that correct? Well, so it's, it's interesting. So over the COVID time frame, we, we actually saw a lot of Christian schools growing. So about 60% of Christian schools have been growing, but it also means that 40% of them have not been. Right. And so during the recession of 2005, you know, you might re- measure that out like three to maybe 2003 to 2009, some people might extend it as far as. But during that last recession, we actually saw the largest rate of, of Christian school closures in all history. Um, during that period of time, we just saw schools closing like crazy. What's so intriguing is that, that God really used COVID even though people were attending church less and less and in, in during the heat of COVID, uh, nobody was even attending church, at least not in person, you know, the doing the online thing. Um, and a lot of people haven't even returned to church still from that period of time. But at the same time that that was taking place, people were becoming less and less willing to give in to the pressures, uh, the liberal pressures that were taking place in the public school system. And so they were clinging to Christian schools who were able to make 
more nimble decisions about COVID. So many things that were viewed as political, like mask usage and some different things. I'm just a big data guy. I just like data. So I'm going to make all my decisions from data. And so we were able to make decisions that weren't political during that period of time, but that were based on medical advice of professionals around us with focus groups that we had formed, medical panels that we had formed during that period. And I think people saw that, uh, not just Hebron, but a lot of Christian schools around the area. People saw that and they saw it as a breath of fresh air. That in a world where it's like every day we were having crammed down our throats, all of the politics of medicine, that I just, I'm just not that way. So we're going to decide off of, off of data. We made data-driven decisions, and I think people were very receptive to that. So we have certainly experienced a lot of growth, and a lot of other schools have as well. So it's pretty cool that the Lord even used something tragic like COVID, where his kingdom could still be advanced, particularly in the areas of Christian education. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, it's been amazing to watch God grow and move uh, in our, just our local community. Um, so I want to get back. We were talking about the, kind of the pillars and, and what we were looking for in a leader. And um, approachable was one of, the, one of the characteristics we were looking for. And uh, how do you, for, for business leaders that may be out there, or maybe even other heads of school, um, how do you make yourself approachable to your staff, to your students, and to your parents? So probably like the worst part of becoming a head of school is that you like for me, I wasn't in the classroom. So I loved the classroom. I mean, I, I loved teaching kids. I loved just the back and forth of working with students. And so with every step you, you know, you go in, whether that's a vice principal or principal, I didn't end up doing those other steps, although I did have to fulfill those roles, but I didn't do those other steps, but each, each one, you're a little bit further away from the kids. And so, you know, for me, I just have to build in, uh, opportunities for me to be with a student. So, you know, I'm going down at cafeteria. I try to walk through classrooms. I'm walking the halls. Each J term, I teach a class. And so this last year, I took 33 kids with, with me and a bunch of other awesome leaders mm. uh, to Honduras on a missions trip and leadership trip. Mm. The J term before that, we did a pretty high-end leadership course where we were meeting with other professionals, which is frankly one of the reasons we started this podcast, meeting with other professionals who were experts in their field and yet bold in their faith. Mm. And from that, you know, we hung out for the day with the governor of Georgia, the, you know, the lieutenant governor mm. of Georgia, super high-end businessmen and women, uh, surgeons, you know, like in that one, we emphasize leadership as well. And so I, I try to build in an awful lot of opportunities for me to be with the kids. If I just had my druthers, I would hang out with them all day long. I would be back in the classroom. Right. Really, that's an easier, like, I, I like that job more. Yeah. Um, it, but God's called me to this job, and sure. so this is the job that I do. So I try to stay, you know, I try to stay as hard as I can, pretty approachable. Nothing terribly fancy about me. And so, yeah. um, you know, I, I try to stay pretty approachable just because I, I think that's just who I, who I am. Like, I yeah. think that's how, just yeah. how God wired me. I love also you've done the town hall meetings. And yeah, yeah. It seems like when we have a... Uh, controversial issue going uh, around in the world, you will you go at it head on. Yeah, uh, you will actually open up focus groups or town hall meetings on that subject. In yeah, particular. I love I love focus groups, and and it, I'm a sucker for conflict. I actually love conflict, and I, it's not that I'm a sadist. Like I like I love the process of conflict, but I do love what comes on the other on the other side right. if it's done with love. And so basically, if I get two complaints over the same issue, I usually start a focus group on it. Like, sure. and I, those are the first two people that I invite. Sure. Um, and so I, I like to hear from people. That's, that's the only way that excellence is pursued is that if you can hear fr from criticism and take it as creative criticism for you to make the organization better or for, for me to be better, right. you know? Right. And so, uh, yeah, we, we, we do a lot of focus groups here. Um, on really hard issues like you know there have been active shooting situations that have taken place one very recently in Nashville right. which just sends my heart into turmoil you know that that recognizing the steps that we have to make here we've done a lot of focus groups on safety you know like right. that's one of those areas that is near and dear to people's hearts and so I think I think we ran seven of them last year and from those man we've changed a ton of our strategies on right. how to protect our students here on campus and um, so those focus groups really inform. I do a, a coffee talk once a month. And so that's never, you know, all of our focus groups is based on one subject. So I don't let people stray sure. from that subject. We're going to talk about that subject. But I do a coffee talk once a month where, where people can just come in and talk about anything they want. 
Um, and then frankly, if anybody just has a complaint, I always tell people don't suffer silently. Sure. You know, that, that we want to hear from you. If the criticism is personal, which that happens sometimes as well, you know, I, I kind of have always gone by the adage. This is what I always try to tell younger leaders. I say, you know, every time I've been criticized, it's been true. And they look at that being shocked and they go, what? And I said, no, no, hold on. Now, in some cases, it's only 1% true. Right. Now, I, I'm remiss to tell you that in some cases, it's been 99% true. Right. You know, but every criticism, there's some level of truth in it. And I think that the leader who wants to be better, who wants to be a better example of what Christ wants us to be as leaders, the, the leader who's really desiring that, I think you have to be introspective when we do receive criticism to make sure that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to see that part, that thread that is true. And I'm going to try to adjust that in my character. And then I try to always thank the people who've, who've made that criticism. Right. You know, um, I think that's just what good leadership is supposed to be. Sure. Yeah. And, and, uh, you do run towards conflict. Uh, I do not, not, not wanting conflict per se, but but you're not afraid to go at it head on. If and I see smoke, I'm getting there before there's right, fire. Right. Yeah. And and I think that's why you are such an effective leader. I, I see a lot of leaders that fail because they're they're they avoid the conflict. Right. They hope it'll go away or wish it'll go away, and it doesn't go away. Right. Uh, that that swell builds up and builds up, and it and it like you said, it turns to a fire, and at some point, it it brings down your leadership. Yeah. Or people lose faith in you, and so I uh, that's something I really admire about. I had some mentors early in my career that when we would go through a, a heated situation at the school, we would debrief afterwards. And one of my, it was actually my very first board chair, John Muniz, just a fantastic guy, went home to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. I still miss him all the time. Uh, but he, he was a, 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 a assistant to the chief of police in our area, high-end police officer. We would debrief after situations and when I first started out, there were times when I would avoid conflict. I would try to avoid it thinking, oh, well, it'll just smooth itself over, you know, and always it would be worse. And so we would debrief and say, okay, if we could press rewind and if you had intervened early at this point, how would that have changed the outcome? Well, right. it would have changed the whole outcome, you right. know? And so I, I learned that from, from John and from a couple of other leaders who were really influential in my life during that period um, who handle conflict for a living like John did as a police officer. And, um, well, it taught me a lot, you know, yeah. so, so now I realized, you know, if there's smoke, I'm going at it. So just, uh, from my personal knowledge and, and just tracking this through the years, is that an acquired skill or do you think that's a person that personality characteristic that you're born with? I think anyone can acquire that. I really okay. actually do. Okay. I, but I think we have to want to. Yeah. I, I think that as leaders, there's so many times when, when we think that we're the ones defining who we are. I, and I think that just flows from vanity. And I think that if we're truly pursuing humility, I think we have to live with the mindset of saying, I don't have the corner on how to do this or that. Right. There's always somebody who's smarter than me, yeah. you know, and that's even when I'm forming leadership teams, uh, you know, listen, most of the people on my leadership team are smarter than me in certain areas, right. you know, like they're better at me. That's why they're there, right. you know? Right. And so I'm just never intimidated by talented people. I frankly want to surround myself with talented mm -hmm. people. And uh, I particularly love people who would really like my job one day. Like sure. those are my favorites. Sure. And so we're with some leaders that would, that they wouldn't like that. Yeah, right. I want that, right. you know, um, because I don't feel like I have the, all the wisdom and knowledge. I'm in this for 30 years. I still, I still know when I blow it, Yeah, you know, uh, under the topic of approachable, you and I had a conversation one day and I, this won't be correct verbatim, but, um, uh, Somebody, maybe a parent, made a comment. Said, uh, "We love you being at the game today. We wish we wish you could come to all the games." And your comment to me was, um, "If I was there every day, I wouldn't be a head of school. I wouldn't be an effective head of school." And I, it, I just thought that was really interesting. Just talk about that a, a little bit. So again, in my role, I don't get to choose what I want to do. Right. You know, and and sometimes my role forces me. I'd much rather be sitting in a game. Sure. Uh, a lot of times, I'm leaving my office, or I'm staying in my office late, or I'm doing research on something that I. I'd much rather be sitting sitting at a, at, a, at a event with people that I love and care for, watching kids that I love and care for. Um, but the role changes. Sure. You know, I'll have people regularly say, "Well, hey, you know, I I wish this this was different." I, I said, "Okay, well, that's a vice principal's role, right. and right. we've got two of those, and they're really really talented. Right. Three three when you count everybody on campus. Uh, some other role will say, "Okay, well, that's a principal's role." Sure. You know, and I I. I'm the head of school. I mean, mm -hmm. so I have to, I have to be casting a vision. I have to be moving 
the institution forward. Sure. If I do my job well, they get to do their job well. Right. If I do my job poorly, they get to have a more difficult job. Right. And so that's kind of where I where I roll. I mean, I try to get to at least at least one event from each sport, and yeah. sometimes that doesn't happen. With some sports, I get to a whole lot more than that. But right. um, but that's what we try to do. You know, so I try to make my make my presence known. But in the same regard, it's a balance. It's a balance. Yeah. I mean, it really is. And and I will say, I I've had periods of my life where I have had a lousy work life balance. Yeah. Luckily, I've had a patient wife, and luckily, my wife is a teacher here as well. And so our lives have been have been together. Right. You know, so the the insanity has been together. But it it I've had periods in my life where it, you know fifteen hour days were pretty normal sure. every day of the week. You can't do that, you know. Yeah. And so now I'm I'm working pretty hard on trying to keep myself at that fifty five hour range, which yeah. I think is a, a pretty okay zone to be in. Sure. Um and that, that means balancing out and choosing it's choosing which ones you can and can't do. It you is know? difficult. Yeah. 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 I, I totally understand that battle. Yeah. Uh you mentioned the word vision and uh that's to me that's the <clears throat> the one characteristic of, that you have that uh, I see a lot of leaders struggle with. And, and, and I see people that are, they're so involved in their business that they don't have time to work on their business. And you somehow have, have the ability to, to be able to do both because uh, you do have long hours. You, you do have a lot going on from day to day. You have a very tight schedule yet every time we meet, you've cast a new vision that's, you know, 12 years down the road or 10 years down the road. And, so where does that come from? Where do you find the time for that? How do you, do you block aside time to just focus on that? Just walk us through that. So a, a part of that I do believe is God given. Yeah. And so I don't know, I don't know why and I don't know how I, I still am trying to figure that out with myself. Right. Um, but for whatever reason, God has put it in my heart that, that I don't, I don't know why, but I feel like God shows me what, what we're supposed to do next. Right. And I do think that there are some areas where we can learn and train in there. And some of the things that I, I would I would bring out is that I do a lot of research. And so if there's if there's an, a new idea, like right now we're really praying hardcore on a special needs school that we're working on, which will be a twenty million dollar venture. I mean, which is terrifying to me. So me too. But, but in there, <laughs> you know, we have to do a lot of research. So I, I research things like the lifts that it takes to lift up a student. Who, who doesn't have mobility. Right. And uh, so, I'm, I mean, as strange as that sounds, I do a lot of research in the evening. I, when, I, when I have been asked a question that I don't know the answer to, I tell people I don't know the answer, but I say, I'll find it out, right. you know? And I go digging. So I do a lot of researching. And I will say, too, I am in the Word like crazy. And so I really do believe when we're in the Word, when we're surrendering our lives in prayer to God, you know, we tap into the power of the creator of the universe. Right. And the creator, creator of the universe knows where we're supposed to be going next. Right. And so if I can just pull myself out of the situation and let God have sway, if I can let him really take over our direction and I can just be smart enough to know that I'm not smart enough, I feel like that's where the sweet spot is. Right. You know? And so this next chapter of my life, you know, and you and I have talked extensively about this. I, I just, I don't want to tackle anything that I think we can do in our own power. Right. Like I really want to only tackle ventures that at the end of the day, only God gets the glory on it. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, I've, I've, I've said that quote many times over the past week or two that you and I've spoken. If I do it a few more times, I'm going to take ownership with my <laughs> quote. Um, but, but it is difficult. It, it, so many leaders get involved and, and to just have that time to make that time right. to, to, to plan the business, to spend time with God. To a Christian leader who doesn't conscientiously and deliberately make time for God's word and prayer will never be the Christian leader they're supposed to be. Yeah. I don't mean a small percentage I mean, 100% categorically, emphatically, never. Right. If you haven't prioritized being God's word, don't then be surprised that God isn't directing your path. Right. You're directing your path. Right. So how about get out of the way? Right. Yep. Great advice. So, so speaking of that vision, so we've done, you've done, God's done a lot of great things here in your three, three years, right? Almost three. Years. Almost three. Three, almost in June. three years. Yeah. Um, so what is the next? three years, five years, 10 years, 15. And in today's world, it's really difficult to make 
a five, certainly a 10 or 15 right. year plan. But from your perspective today, where do you see uh, HCA going? So our theme next year is going to be steadfast. And it's, it's, it really is kind of along that lines of us remaining steadfast to the principles that we see in God's word. Uh, and, and that will that will kind of carry over to a lot of areas. So one, it will be the rigor of our academics. So we're going to be adding a number of AP courses. We're going to be ramping up the courses that we do have. Our, our expectations with the kids are going to change to a certain degree. As we increase those ex- expectations, like as we increase rigor, we will then increase relationships. And so we've done some things that, you know, over these last couple of years, like we've added a, sta- a staff member, senior staff member's position that just handles student life. And so, so our student life director, uh, Sherry Griffin, is brilliant. She does an amazing job. And it's so that kids can feel connected in community. That's actually a huge component of what we're doing. So if we're going to increase rigor, we want to make sure that we're also increasing those relationships. So from an academic perspective, we're going to see some of those things. From a physical structure standpoint, I, I will say what I know, and then I'll say a whole bunch of things that I think. Mm-hmm. So I really believe, because I think God's confirmed it, that we will do a special needs school. This special needs school will be unlike any other school that we've seen. It's really ministering to the students with permanent cognitive impairment, um, IQs in that 50 to 70 range. We're going to be working with kids who are largely underserved. I I would really say completely underserved in Christian education. And so that's our next project. That's going to be a big project. We're going to run hard and fast on that for, for, two to three, four years, depending on how, how quickly we fundraise. We don't take any debt out here at the school, and so we're, we fundraise before we put a shovel in the ground. And so I, I know that that's the, nec- that's the next big project that we're working on. In addition to that, we're working on an indoor sports complex, which will be a multi-purpose complex that will be the size, the full size of a football field. Um, but it will provide hitting facilities for baseball, softball. It will provide place for the band to soccer, be able to practice lacrosse, soccer lacrosse right. i mean everything it's a full multi-purpose uh in in that process we'll further develop our sports programming and probably eventually move baseball back over here to this campus right now it's at our other campus um add another gym to this so we can do some indoor tennis uh facilities here on the campus expand out our parking lot we'll probably move our home side to the other side do much larger bleachers from there uh, do a big open portico area at the back of that where our kids can play. And so change up our home and away sides and, and uh, do some big projects. We've got a student center on our on our list. That will end up being a three-floor complex. Within the third floor will be a living roof where that will be kind of an extension of our STEM program where they'll be doing trees and vegetables and all kinds of different things on the top of that. We're building a greenhouse this summer as an extension of, of our STEM program. Part of that student center, the back of it will be a coffee shop and maybe restaurant, which we'll use during our evening activities. We hope to be able to staff that with a lot of the students here, but also a lot of the students who are going to be attending our special needs school. And so we look at that as an opportunity for caring and sharing during that, during that space as well. And, And eventually I think we're going to have to ask some questions on the idea of what does growth look like for right. Hebron? You know, does, right. does that mean growing numerically on this campus, which I'm not, I'm not confident of? Does that mean starting other campuses? Does that mean taking over other schools? I, I think, I think that for us, we're open to anything that God has for us. You right. know, we don't want to try to chart our course in regard to that, but we do know that God's blessed us with growth, and we feel like that's not meant to stop yet. Yeah, yeah. This is this is my last year on the board, and which I'm bummed about. Well, I'm. Uh, I, you, you talked about not doing anything in our own power, but but only things that God can do. You're talking about a special needs school, twenty million dollars. You're talking about an athletic facility that today would be about seventeen million dollars. Seventeen million. Yeah. It's just incredible. It's yeah. just incredible. It scares me to death. So it I scares me to death. Too. Yeah. My timing is just right. You, you <laughs> you've uh, outpunted my coverage. So. <laughs> Um, but, but it is, it is incredible on the special needs school. Uh, how many kids will be served once that opens? Somewhere between a, a 150 to 200 kids. That's just incredible. Um, yeah. And it'll be the, the, the kid, you know, kids who just aren't, they just don't have the opportunity to be served in any other Christian school. I mean, it's, it's important. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. Um, and, and that vision, is that something God placed on your heart? Was that, did that come through someone else? So. I, I reconstituted what we ended up calling here our enrichment center. 
Um, I do feel like kids who have any type of hiccup in their in their learning pattern sometimes are ostracized in a lot of school settings. And so what I've discovered through the years is that sometimes that kid who has a challenge um, with t- some type of education um, is a lot of times just absolutely brilliant. We just learn, we just have to learn how to bring that brilliance out. And so we expanded our enrichment program. I hired a new director, Cassie Snow. She's amazing. Um, and then we just started praying like crazy to see what the Lord would, would give to us. So we kind of opened ourselves up to say, we're going to be in a season of prayer. What does God have for us? In that process, we started getting calls. I mean, it was a little bit eerie, I'll be honest. Sure. We started getting calls from total strangers who, who have, in many cases, have no affiliation with our school, right. who started asking, like, you know, we think you guys should be doing this special needs school. I t- talked with a grandpa who has no affiliation with us all, called me out of the clear blue and said, hey, I'm supposed to be calling you and telling you about w- what this next step is. Cassie Snow is hearing from the same thing. At the same time, we're hearing parents here who don't even know that vision is, is, is we're even pondering it. They're stepping forward. And so, you know, when you see the Holy Spirit working, that I'm just telling you that almost never takes place in one person's head. Right. Like you can see the Holy Spirit crafting a design in a multitude of people. And then our only role as a leader is then to go, aha, mm. okay, the Holy Spirit's working here. Let's now figure out what is this message? You know, yeah. and so we feel like this next step is that special needs. And it's going to be a, a big process, but it's going to change lives, change sure. lives, change the fam- the lives of families. Too. That's right. Not just the children, right. but the parents. Right. Maybe more the parents. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's incredibly exciting what God's doing, and and uh, really exciting to be a part of that. So so the people that have heard this and kind of where you see the vision the next the next few years, how can people come alongside and join you kind of in this ministry? I mean, we've had so many unbelievable families who have stepped forward. Um, when we look at our elementary expansion. Um, and I don't have the, the data sitting in front of me, but it was a small number. It was like like maybe twenty one to twenty two families who who fully funded that that project. We added eight new classrooms, uh, a new cafeteria, new playground, out outdoor expansion classroom unit. Um, so we added a lot in there, and it was a smaller number. We just finished the project with a, a new theater that seats five hundred and six, um, and a new dining hall that seats six seventy five. Uh, that project was funded by like 150 or 60 families. So we've seen more and more families step forward. And that's ultimately the challenge that I give to every family is that we've been blessed with a lot of folks here who have been blessed. And so the New Testament talks about what it is to have sacrificial giving. So I think that 10%, which is that Old Testament idea of, I think that's where it starts. But what does sacrificial giving look like? You know, for some families, that might be 20%. Right. May I say, for some families, that might be 90%. Right. And you, I've had developed some just outstanding friendships here of people who literally their spiritual gift is earning sure. and giving. And I, I've got a dear friend here, and he said, the only reason I still work is so that I can give. Right. I mean, that's a heart of, of, of ministry, you know? And so I think that we'll see more and more people step up. What I'm excited about is I can't wait to be surprised by who does. Right. Because each project, I've been so surprised at the people that God just placed this on their heart and in faithfulness, they've stepped forward. Right. And in sometimes written a check that that is challenging for them. Sure. And man, that's been amazing to see. It's yeah. just, it's something that's beautiful. Yeah. And in both the last two projects that we completed, that God completed, uh, we were kind of at the very end, we were short. Uh, yep. We didn't think we were going to make it. We were out of resources. We didn't know where to go. And then boom, both times God showed up literally at the, at the ninth yep. hour and, and, and completed both of those projects. Yep. Matter of fact, the first one, it created a surplus. Right. Um, so, so you can really see God moving here in the yeah. spirit and uh, our cup overflows and we're just so blessed to be a part of it. But Thank you for this. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I, I know others are going to love hearing your story and lo- knowing more about you as well as the school and where it's going and just some insight to all of that. So thank you. Thanks, God. It's a weird sitting on this side of the table, yeah. so I, I, <laughs> but I appreciate your friendship and your leadership. Here. Same here. Love you, brother. Thank you. 
We have been overwhelmed with the glowing response to season one of the Joy of Leadership podcast. Thank you to our faithful listeners for tuning in every week. And thank you for telling your friends. And thank you even more for liking us on YouTube or wherever you receive your podcasts. While we are blessed to have faithful listeners in every section of the U.S., our biggest cities being Atlanta, New York, Seattle, and even Wichita, Kansas, we have been surprised by the global impact of the podcast. We are literally reaching thousands around the world with faithful weekly listeners in Canada, Kenya, the Netherlands, and even Sri Lanka. We are humbled by God's favor on our program as we encourage others to keep Christ in the center. This show could not take place without the expertise and brilliance of our producer, David Bell, and our director, Blake Pace. Boldly lives at the intersection of vocational success and spiritual courage. Email us at thejoyofleadership at gmail.com. Thank you for being a faithful member of the Joy of Leadership podcast family.